Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. My mission is simple. To make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere. And I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people, just my friends, I want to make you money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Well, you know I haven't been that big a fan of the market for weeks, but when I saw the futures rolling over this morning, when I got up at 3 a.m., it drove me nuts. Why? Because to paraphrase the line from Miller's Crossing, you sell stocks for a reason. When there's no reason, it makes no sense for the market to go down. Sure enough, there was no reason. So when we started getting positive values from Washington, the averages were covered. Dow ultimately finishing up 102 points, S&P advancing 0.41%, NASDAQ gaining 0.47%. Unfathomable, if you think back to just a few hours ago. When the market was down this morning, I searched in vain for reasons to explain the decline. I didn't want to just call the future sellers a bunch of morons, idiots, and chowderheads, although it sure was tempting. I gave it the old grad school try. We know natural gas prices are through the roof in Europe, to the point where Germany's got a coal shortage, and now they're lecturing us about the lack of production. Even though Germany's been leading the world and pushing for more friendly, environmentally friendly sources of energy, those depict they're duplicitous. The Germans are heavily reliant on natural gas from Russia, something that's come back to bite them many times. Thanks a lot, Gazprom. So it shouldn't be a surprise that it's happening again. Honestly, the whole thing's insane. American liquefied natural gas exporters have been offering the Germans tons of supply, but they weren't interested. Oh, no. If we got more investment from Europe, we could have probably had twice our current natural gas export capacity. The largest non-Russian natural gas field near Germany is off the coast of Israel. But building that pipeline across Europe could be a pain in the neck. So they'd rather remain hostage to Russia. Meanwhile, they're complaining about the windmills not working in Holland. I'm like Don Quixote. I know a windmill when I see one. And I see millions of them in Europe. They just don't seem to get the renewable energy over there. The sources, they're inherently unreliable. You can't go all in on wind until we have better storage technology to cope with the weather. And while it might always be sunny in Philadelphia, Germany's sunny about 30% of the time. Now, if you're wondering what the European energy crisis has to do with the United States, well, then you're not alone. I think that's a ridiculous reason for our stock market to get hit. But our futures take their cue from the European bourses. This bogus linkage reminds me of what happened when Europe had its financial crisis a decade ago. Their banks would routinely cause a sell-off at our banks, even though the, there was no connection. It was moronic, but in the end, it created bu- great buying opportunities. And then there's Asia. Now, we got a lot of fighter jets rattling by China against Taiwan. It's amazing to me that we can have substantive trade talks with the Chinese government when they're still in the process of intimidating some of our closest allies in the region. Not just Taiwan, by the way, but Australia. What the hell did Australia do? I like them. So, sure, things are not so hot in Europe and Asia, but this is the United States. And as it happens, things are looking okay here. 
This morning, I interviewed Jim Fitterly, the CEO of Dow, and he's committed to delivering far higher earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization than Wall Street's looking for. Plus, Dow's yet another environmentally unfriendly company that's trying to go green in order to placate all the SG money and do the right thing. Just listen to Jim Fitterling talk about the new plan he's building in Canada. It's basically a closed loop. He's drastically cutting down on Dow's emissions while boosting produ- production to meet demand. I, you know what? I, th- I think it's a green stock. Wow. And the business is so strong that it's hard to see a full stop end of the cycle, as so many of the analysts do. Oh, then there's Jim. Yeah, General Motors, with its plan to make a gigantic number of electric vehicles over the next few years, and many more going toward hands-free, only going to 49, 95%. Can you believe that? 95%. Which could help us, by the way, solve this trucking shortage where we just don't have enough drivers. I can't believe how robust the sales can be at GM. People are lining up to buy cars and trucks, and GM sells for nine times next year's earnings. That's wrong, okay? That's wrong. Dow and GM have gotten religion on the environment, not just because it helps them look good, although it does, but that, that, it was, they, never, it was never enough, they didn't have enough reasons to do it before. They're doing it because it's good business, good for their stocks because of all these ESG funds, it's added, and it has the added advantage of being good for the world, of which, by the way, Mary Barra and Jim Fiddling inhabit and actually care about. Of course, we still have the fine naysayers. This morning, I listened to a fund manager talk about how it's important to get in on the reflation trade, basically the material stocks like Dow. Now, that could be right. But at the same time, this manager said you had to throw out the tech stocks because it won't work in the current inflationary environment. I keep coming back to the principal source of inflation. It, it's shortages. Shortages get cured. We're having trouble at the ports, which are a choke point. We've got labor shortages all over the place. You, you know how we solve labor shortages? How we've always done it with technology. You know which companies don't have goods stuck off the coast of California? Technology, the cloud stocks. So don't tell me they're not. <laughs> don't tell me they're wrong here. I've heard people say the government should step in and sort out the supply chain mess. I wish we had a government that could solve logistics problems. But honestly, they should just subcontract this one out to Jassy over at Amazon. Those guys know how to fix a broken supply chain from the ship to the shore to your house. Let the experts handle it. I'll let Google have a piece of the action, too. Of course, Facebook's got real problems, but I think they're making progress. Oh, man. I know. Big blowback. Mark Zuckerberg penned a long missive about what his company's doing right now to rebut the recent revelations that put Facebook in a very bad light. Okay, it's not enough. But at least he's talking about safety being a core value and his need as a parent to personally take charge of Facebook's teenage problem. I know Zuckerberg doesn't think there's any meat to the revelations. He stresses over and over again that Facebook has industry-leading safeguards, although maybe that's not saying much given the state of the social media industry. I just hope he understands that he's running the largest media company in the world. And if Facebook's got content that's genuinely harming adolescents, they've got to catch it. I think actually resolving this issue could be pretty expensive. But Zuckerberg, I believe, is going to embrace his safety-first attitude, even if it hurts earnings. He personally must take charge of this issue to catch what's happening. I know many of you may disagree with this, but after reading this morning's tweet, I think he's going to do it. Still, putting it all together, it made no sense for the market to be down hard this morning. Many of the problems that have been weighing on the average are self-inflicted wounds, man-made problems created in Washington. While man-made problems are very stupid and frustrating, they are also easy to solve. We had spiking oil prices, so today the White House said it was considering opening the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Oil then went down. No kidding. We got the equivalent of a crash in natural gas down 9%. No kidding. We got some encouraging news that the Congress may kick the can down the road on the debt ceiling. They also might finally pass Biden's infrastructure package. All of those are positive. More on one of them later. No wonder the averages came roaring back. Here's how I see this moment. We're at the cusp of coming to an end of the most seasonally difficult part of the year. COVID's on the mend, and the regions that were hardest hit by the Delta variant now have the best business growth in the country. Hey, Marty Mushi just told us that the other night on paychecks. These are reasons to buy, not sell. 
Even as we know that historically the next 10 days will be a lot more like this morning than this afternoon. Oh, by the way, Costco, an investment club special after the close, delivered a monster number that can only help the bullish cause. We did a piece about Costco earlier in the day talking at best of breed. Bottom line, after years, no, after weeks of carnage, years of carnage, where did you get that? After weeks of carnage, where every rally turned out to be a trap, people just don't know what to do. And when they're confused, of course, they sell. At this point, though, you need to think about why you own stocks in the first place. Maybe you sold at 930. I hope not. If the thesis is still intact and nothing's changed for the worse, then it's time to have some conviction. And as I told investment club members yesterday, I think that when the market's down like it was this morning, you do some buying. How about we go to Jim in Florida? Jim. Booyah, Jim. Jimmy Chill says uh, booyah. I'm back booyah at you. from Cape Coral, Florida, where it's raining like hell. What the hell is that about? Get on that. Tell one of my staff. Listen, I got a two-part question. Okay. I got a lot of Novavax, N-V-A-X. Yeah. With the efficacy that it's been having and the great trial results, why has that not been approved by the FDA yet? Uh, I, you know what? I, I think you ask a great question. I have always been suspicious of Novavax because I don't think, frankly, that the regulators are uh, as keen on Novavax as Novavax is on Novavax. I think that I, I, I don't recommend the stock here. Let's go to Andrew in Michigan. Andrew. Jimmy Chill. What's happening? I need to give you an undefeated Michigan State Spartan Tuck coming. Booyah. Wow. Jim, I've been watching your show since I was a student at Michigan State 13 years ago. I started receiving the investing club emails this week, and I wanted to tell you that it is the best thing you have ever done for your followers. Oh, you you. are too kind. It's time. time. I should have done a club like this years ago. I don't want your money. I don't want your commissions. I want to teach. I got the right thing. Thank you very much. I want to teach at Michigan State. Let me go. Let me go back there. I'm going to go back to Michigan and do some teaching. It's the best. We appreciate the honesty, and it's, I look forward to it every day. Thank you. Thank you very much. we got many more to come. We've got another bull, and I'm preparing just as I took during the commercial. During the commercial. What's happening? <laughs> Can't wait. The stock I'm calling about has pulled back about 20% from its highs, trading at a PE just below the market, and will benefit from upcoming spend on semiconductor manufacturing. Is this a good level to get into LAM research? I can't believe I just checked it. Just literally checked it on LAM. Just literally checked in on LAM. And the answer is, yes, it is. It's the right time. They've got the right machines. They've got fabulous management. I was actually thinking about doing a piece on it. LAM is correct. I don't, I, by the way, I'm going to have a king's chicken. I'm not going to have lamb. But that's a different kind of lamb. Larry in Washington. Larry. Yes, Jim. Hey, I've got some stock that I bought 22 years ago, and at that time the debt was around 30%. Today it's up around 120%. So I've been trying to figure out what do I own? Hold it. Um, what's the stock? Uh, McDonald's. Oh, jeez, McDonald's is you own that because the dividend keeps going higher, because the business is terrific, management is strong, they've got so much greenfield right now. I didn't develop the club that I wanted to do. I think McDonald's is fantastic stock to own. Right now, you need to think about why you own stocks in the first place. If your thesis is still intact, 
It's time to muster up some conviction when the market opens down like it did today. Oh, man, money tonight. Marvell Technologies continues to chip away at the competition. This is an investment club name. So what does the 5G innovator and, of course, high-performance computing chip maker have to plan in the future? Why don't we check with the CEO? He's on the show. And Constellation Brands fell a little flat at the earnings. But what does the company have planned to help the stock bubble up higher? How about a couple of Modellos with me after the bell? And, oh, it is after the bell. Oh, yeah, I think you have to wait till later for the show. And then Levi's reported after the bell announcing a share buyback and a top and bottom might beat. I'm trying to quarter on for a size. I know, I know, apparel's a tough business. Why don't we listen to the CEO? Why don't we stay with Kramer? Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact, smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast, indeed.com slash mad money terms and conditions apply need to hire. You need indeed. Even in a not-so-hot market, some stocks are so strong they break out to new all-time highs. Take Marvell Technology, the company that makes chips from networking, communications, and storage, meaning they've got a ton of 5G and data center exposure. This is a long-time Kramer fave, one that's been a huge winner for the Chapel Trust, which, of course, you can follow along by joining the Investor Club. The only problem, Marvell just soared more than 7% today after management held an analyst meeting where they laid out some very bullish long-term t- uh, financial targets. If you bought at the lows on Monday, you're now up a quick 7 bucks. Could this thing have more room to run? Let's take a 
than Matt Murphy. He's the president and CEO, an incredibly competitive guy, of Marvell Technology. He can better sense where his company is, where it's headed. Mr. Murphy, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks, Jim. Great to be here. All right, Matt, this is a record time transition. I'm not kidding. Between In the last five years, I've never seen anybody do anything like you have. We have got to talk about the new Marvell because in April you made a big acquisition and another one closed yesterday. This company looks substantially different from the day I met you. Talk about the journey and where you are now. Thanks, Jim. Yeah, it's, it's been a five-year transformation journey. We've done uh, tremendous investment in organic uh, products like storage and networking. We did a number of acquisitions, which were transformational for Marvell. And as, as, as you mentioned, we, we actually closed two deals this year, one in April and then a second one in uh, yesterday. So the result of all this is we've got all the pieces that we need to be the leading company in supplying solutions for what we call the data infrastructure market. Cloud computing, 5G, next generation automotive, we've assembled all the pieces. And I think we're one of the most exciting companies uh, in the semiconductor industry now. I couldn't agree more when you moved into 5G is when my Chapel Trust bought, because I said this is the purest 5G play. I didn't see the high-performance computing coming. I have to tell you, I have often thought that if AMD weren't caught up in the Xilinx acquisition, and if... uh, if NVIDIA hadn't been caught up in trying to do ARM, they would have bought the last thing that you bought. It would have been a perfect fit. You know, it, yeah, Infi, which was the acquisition that we announced in uh, October of last year and we closed in April, it was one of the most premier semiconductor companies we've seen in the last 20 years. It was a premier asset. It was very expensive, obviously. And you know, the fact that we're able to get it done Uh, was tremendous. And we're already seeing the benefits of that, by the way, Jim, in our second quarter, which was the first full quarter with Infi as part of Marvell. It actually exceeded the revenue plan uh, that we had when we bought it. It beat where Street had thought it would be. And it was accretive to EPS in the first quarter out, where I think when, if you remember when we announced the deal, uh, the stock fell and people thought that this was going to be a dilutive transaction. It's actually accretive to earnings and it's driven up the entire company growth rate. So, yeah, I think we were able to time that just right. And for us, it was a perfect fit and and um, really filled out our portfolio in, in, a, in a meaningful way. Well, I remember I talked with you when you did the acquisition and there weren't a lot of people. There. I, mean, I wish they had like 5,000 more people. I would have felt better. Everyone thought that you overpaid. I was out there defending you. But you exceeded yep. every single expectation, which brings me to what happens next. And the reason I say this is because, you know, everyone's going to the president, talking to the Commerce Secretary, saying we need more money for these incredibly low-end chips. Yeah, i got to tell you, I, look, I'm totally sympathetic. I like Ford. I like Jim. But, Matt, the truth is your portfolio is the one that people want. Your portfolio has the margins and the growth. So where can Marvell go when we know that everyone seems to want to just be in, in regular old, what they call full feature chips? You do have auto. So tell us what the future is here. Yeah, Jim, I think we've addre- we now address the, the sweet spot of the semiconductor industry. What we said in our investor day today is we're in a $20 billion market today. That's where Marvell operates, going to $30 billion in the next few years. So that's a growth rate of just the market alone of 13% a year, which if you look at any other major semiconductor company, nobody's in those kind of secular growth trends. The primary driver of that market growth, Jim, is cloud computing. And that's really was a lot of our big announcements today was 
really around how Marvell is pioneering the concept of what we call cloud-optimized silicon. You hear in the headline news, you know, hyperscale companies hiring silicon teams, people investing in their own chips. Actually, we're the company behind the scenes that goes and makes it happen. And that, uh, that market now is such that we uh, uh, can articulate as a company 15 to 20% long-term growth driven primarily by the cloud, then 5G, as you mentioned. That's still tracking extremely well. A lot of that's still in front of us. And then automotive, which, which uh, we're, think of us, Jim, as being in all the new future cars, the new chips for automotive, the networking chips, the computing chips, the storage chips. That's where the future of automotive is going. Boy, man, I got to tell you that just on that point on your slide, our opportunity by end market, 24 percent data center. Totally got that. I was shocked. The largest, the best is 28 percent auto industrial. I mean, it has that good opportunity. If the even what happens if the cycle turns down business cycle or do you think demand so strong that for cloud that it really doesn't matter? Sure. Well, I think two aspects the, the two you mentioned were data center. And, and automotive, right? So data center, the cloud is the biggest portion of that. That is on a long-term secular growth trend that is not going to stop anytime soon. And then on top of that, we have pretty substantial share gains, content gains, and opportunity. On automotive, it's growing a little bit faster. It's a smaller market for us today. But again, that's one where, where units don't need to grow in automotive for Marvell to win big. Think about it this way. Five years ago, our business in automotive was approximately $0. It's currently on a $100 million run rate, but we identified we're in a market that's going to a billion dollars, and we can get you know about 50% of that. And that's, again, that, that, that's all in front of us. And then we made one other announcement today, which was, which was the uh, we've, we've made a, 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 an announcement around being in the compute side in automotive, which think of... In automotive now, instead of the engine being kind of the key thing that people care about, they're going to care about the electronics, the computing, the networking, what enables all of these applications, enables self-driving, enables connectivity. And that's a, that's a new market for Marvell. That one's supposed to could be as high as a $5 billion market in the next few years. And again, we're just getting started there. So tremendous opportunities from 5G to cloud to automotive that are going to span over the next decade plus. And that's why we're really excited about the prospects of this company. It's very unique, the position we're in. Oh, it's really it's amazing demand, amazing the right chips. There's some fantastic stuff in the deck where you talk about you know, just headlines of, what, of what's going on. Anybody who's expanding, it all leads to you. Matt Murphy, you really have put together an amazing company. I'm glad we stayed in touch. This has been a triple for, for my trust. I so don't want to sell it. I just wish we had bought more during that last dip. Thank you so much for coming on Mad Money. Yeah, thanks, Jim. Okay, that's Matt Murphy of Marvell, M-R-V-L. Look, it's just a great company. Bad Bunny's back in. Coming up, has an earnings miss left Constellation Brands dizzy with disappointment? Or should investors shake off the cobwebs and toast a stock that's bubbled with promise? Kramer taps the keg next. Here's a question. Have you ever been prescribed a medication? Most likely, yes. Well, what about this question? Did you understand how it worked? The way your medication works in your body shouldn't be a mystery. 
Learn how Vivgard, Fgard Tigamod Alpha FCAB works by visiting vivgard.com slash MOA. That's V-Y-V-G-A-R-T dot com slash M-O-A. Brought to you by Argenix. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. season has barely gotten started, but already we keep hearing the same story from companies that make physical products. Even though sales are up nicely, profits are taking a bit of a hit thanks to higher costs. You know the raw costs, transportation costs, labor costs. I haven't heard about this one. Pallet costs. Take Constellation Brands, the well-run booze company. It's a host of wine, beer, and liquor brands. It's best known for Corona. Modelo, Pacifico. Although Constellation delivered a nice revenue beat, their earnings, like many of the other companies in their industry, took a bit of a hit. However, management also raised their earnings forecast for the current fiscal year, which suggests that maybe they can get these cost problems under control or maybe sales are just exploding. If that's the case, then the stock's too cheap at 18 times earnings. Don't take it from me. Let's dig deep with Bill Newland. He's the straight-shooting president and CEO of Constellation Brands, who joins us in good times and bad. Mr. Newlands, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks, Jim. Good to be here. Bill, I have to tell you, there were so many things that went wrong and you still beat the number. So my takeaway is you got one hell of a business if that can happen. Just talk about it. It's like a Job-like quarter, but you still deliver the numbers because sales are so great. Tick down the things that went wrong and then tell me how they're going to go right. The main thing that went wrong, Jim, is the obsolescence charge that we had around Seltzer. Seltzer didn't go particularly well. But our entire miss was because of the obsolescence charge. When you look at our top line, you've got brands like Modelo that were up 16% that continues to increase household penetration and velocity. Uh, The Prisoner, same way. You you see great takeout on, on some of our key wine brands. So we remain extremely excited about the growth profile of, of all of our brands. And, and we had a one-time charge that obviously hurt the bottom line. But as you saw, we raised guidance because we have a lot of confidence in being able to absorb that charge and still beat the numbers at the end of the year. So when we look at the overall growth uh, of the beer market in the U.S., has that changed? Is it still mostly you? It's roughly flat, but our business is up 8%. So we are gaining a lot of share in the marketplace uh, compared to all of our competition. So let's talk about uh, both cannabis and hard seltzer. Uh, these turn out to be a little bit harder categories than we thought. I know when Boston Beer said hard seltzer just kind of hit a wall. And I know the cannabis acreage had some good numbers, but it's just difficult without the government just saying, listen, let's have it. Are these solvable problems, hard seltzer and cannabis? Because you know that if we didn't have them, the numbers would look extraordinary. Seltzer is, uh, I think, a little bit different than cannabis. Certainly, the seltzer category has had a bit of a lid put on it in the last, say, eight weeks or so. And everybody overestimated what the growth profile was going to look like for this year. But it's still a fairly minimal part of our business. Our main growth profile is still our core beer business. Um, We we still think that seltzer is going to be an important part of the category going forward, although probably at a much lower growth profile. Our focus is bringing different products to the table that are differentiated and not spend a lot of time on me too. 
when it comes to cannabis, obviously, we're all waiting for legalization. And Canopy is spending a lot of time focused on developing their CBD business in the U.S. You probably saw their business this past quarter was up 91% versus a year ago, focused on things like Martha Stewart and Quattro and things of that nature. So we're very excited about where it has potential to go. But a lot of the long-term benefit is going to rely on legalization. All right. Now, it doesn't seem to matter in terms of the cash that you generate, because I don't think people realize, I mean, you repurchased 6.2 million shares, $1.4 billion. Most companies stopped repurchasing their shares during this period. Why are you being so aggressive? We made that commitment, Jim. We said that we were going to return $5 billion to shareholders. And we've done over 60% of that already. And we're ahead of what our plan is. We're cash flow generative, as you said. But we can still do that while investing behind the future success of our beer business primarily. Uh, And that's where our capital allocation is. Focus on growth and focus on returning dollars to shareholders. But we've all kind of given up. We just think that pallets, I like that, but I mean, pallets, there's a new one, okay? Uh, Cartons, aluminum. I, I hear them endlessly and endlessly, but I've been in this business for a long time. So have you. Sometimes when people think that they're just going to trend line all the way up, we do get too much aluminum comes online, too much wood comes online. Won't there come a moment where we'll be talking about, you know what, they overestimated the demand for aluminum. They overestimated because that's what always happens. This cycle can't be any different. I don't think so. I I agree with you. There, there's certainly all this is cyclical over the course of time. I think the important part for for businesses like ours is we're heavily hedged on many of these things, over 60 percent in the aluminum category, as an example. As you know, we have our own glass factory in combination with a partner. So we do a lot uh, to try to make sure that we are hedged against these issues so that while there are uh, starts and stops within it, overall, we help to smooth it out over time. You know, I just think that in the end, when I listen to all the things that happened, I, I was actually surprised that when the number came out, initially, of course, like Vanny, I said, uh-oh. And then when I read the fine print, I mean, God, there was even, what was that bill about the smoky wine? That's just the fires. I mean, anything, right. there was nothing, whatever went wrong could go wrong. And yet you still raise forecasts. What happens if things all go right? Uh, we'll have a lovely quarter. <laughs> uh, certainly, we're very excited about where our business is and the future of our business. And we're very confident that we're going to succeed at the end of the year, which is why we raised our guidance. We think uh, our brands are very much performing in the marketplace and taking share, and we expect that to continue. Yeah, your stock's too cheap. I don't blame you for buying every share that you do. I want to thank Bill New. Absolutely. That's Bill Newell, president and CEO of Constellation Brands, STZ. Guys, they're buying tons of stock back. They've been incredibly savvy. A lot of things went wrong this quarter, and they still raised numbers. Just like PepsiCo yesterday. See that stock up big today when people realized what was going on? Man, money's back after the break. Coming up, what do you call a group of investors who bet against Levi's? Gene Shorts. Kramer digs into denim next. All right, it's been a couple rough months for the apparel stocks, dragged down by global supply chain worries. Oh, and price of cotton, too, now. That sell-off's created some terrific buying opportunities if you know where to look. 
Check out Levi Strauss and Company, the jeans kingpin that's gotten into the habit of reporting excellent earnings because denim's back in style again because it's a well-run company. Levi's jumped to 30 in July after reporting a great quarter, but since then the stock has steadily drifted lower, sinking to $24 and change today. That's not unlike a lot of other apparel companies. It turns out business is still excellent. When Levi's reported again after the close, they knocked it out of the park. 11 cent earnings beat off 37 cent basis, powered by higher than expected sales, truly incredible margins. While management's guidance for the next quarter was conservative, they're conservative people. I think this is a textbook case of under-promise and over-deliver. I'm betting the stock's got more room to run, even as it jumped in after hours trading. Don't take it from me. Let's check in with Chip Berg. He's the president and CEO of Levi Strauss. Come to learn more about the quarter and what's next for the business. Mr. Berg, good to see you again. Welcome to Man Money. Good to see you too, Jim. Thank you for having me. Of course. Okay, so Chip, I thought the numbers given COVID were terrific. And what I'm trying to figure out is I've been saying there's a big denim cycle going. How much of it is why it's just riding the denim cycle? And how much of it is company specific? Well, it's a good question. And actually, Matt Boss asked a very similar question on our earnings call just about an hour ago. Um, Some of this is clearly the tailwind from the industry, the new denim cycle, which I think I was the first one to point out a couple of months ago, a couple of quarters ago, um, is definitely a tailwind. Uh, We're riding that about half of our sales this past quarter. We're in the looser, baggier fits that is driving the, the new denim cycle. But I think a lot of this is company specific. You know, we've remapped our U.S. wholesale distribution to be more premium. We're in premium customers like Nordstrom. We've worked really hard on our structural economics. You're seeing that in our gross margins, which were 57.5% this quarter. And we've been in the 57% range for three quarters in a row now. We had record profitability in this Q3 of $222 million. I mean, so we're seeing it in our structural economics. We're seeing it in our distribution. And we're seeing it in the pricing power of the Levi's brand. At the end of the day, this really comes down to the strength of the Levi's brand and our AURs are up versus both last year and 2019, uh, driven by pricing that we've taken over the last 12 months. And that sets us up really well, given the inflationary pressures and given what's happening with cotton right now. Yeah, well, I'm glad you mentioned cotton. I, I've been getting emails from people saying, you know what, Jim, you've got to back away from apparel stocks. Cotton is through the roof. The Chinese are, are taking our cotton. That's going to mean that next quarter is going to be worse. I say that certain companies like Chipberg, that you know how to source and that you're not going to sit there and just take it lying down and say, OK, I've got to take a beating in cotton. Is, am I characterization too bullish? Uh, You're absolutely right. I mean, and I would say it's a supply chain in total comment. I mean, we have a very, very uh, distributed supply chain. We operate in more than 24 countries. Um, No country, no single country represents more than 20 percent of our volume. We also cross source uh, about half of our volume, which means we can make the same product in multiple sources in different countries giving us real agility to be able to shift markets uh, real quickly. So, for example, when the tariffs went into place in China, at that point in time, we were importing about 8% of our product here to the U.S. was coming from China. Today, it's less than 1%. Um, Vietnam's been in the news because of all the factories that are shut down in Vietnam and the impact that that's had on other apparel players. It's less than 4% of our volume today. So we've been able to, to, to pivot very, very quickly. Our scale clearly also really helps, and very few have the kind of scale that we do. And then on cotton specifically, we don't buy cotton. We buy finished product from mills, and, um, and we negotiate with them in advance. So our pricing 
is locked in through the first half of next year already. Uh, so our cost of goods are already locked in for the first half of next year. And we're in the midst of negotiating for the second half. And I'm bullish that we're going to be able to land that, as we said in our call, kind of in the mid-single digits from an inflation standpoint. It turns out to be a little bit higher than that. We may need to take some more pricing, and we're confident we're going to be able to do that. Well, that's what matters. I think your brand name allows you to do that. Now, how about NextGen, which is something that we liked? Sounds very exciting. You did it, what, it started about a year ago, and it looks like it's already a success. It is a success. I mean, we... Uh, we have sliced our retail footprint, and uh, we have a huge opportunity, particularly here in the U.S., to premiumize the Levi's brand. And part of the, the playbook for that is to launch more mainline doors, and they're going to be these next-gen doors that really provide a superior consumer shopping experience and, and marries the digital experience with the physical experience. They're smaller footprint stores, kind of in the range of about 2,500 square feet, which makes them much more productive. And we can assort those doors very specific to who the consumer is going into that store, which makes the store highly productive and very, very profitable. And because they're very profitable, we can do a lot of them. And we have cities where we don't even have a presence today with, with Levi's. And, uh, and we will in the future as we commit to, to adding more mainline doors here in the U.S. So we're going to add about 100 mainline doors globally and next gen this calendar year. And we are committed to continuing to invest in brick and mortar retail because it's working for us and delivering a, a return on invested capital well above our cost of capital. All right. Now, if I go into one of these stores and I ask, say, for maybe a pair of uh, wide leg, high waisted jeans, are they going to sabotage me? And give me one. They, they've got your style, Jim, and, and, and they'll make you looking really good. I guarantee you, you'll have a great experience in one of our stores. I do not know if you want me in one of your stores, but I am going, and you are an answer to a guy like Mike Prayers, because I do not know how to dress other than a suit. Chip, once again, fantastic for coming on the show. Great to see you. Thank you for all the things that you're doing. We didn't get to mention sustainability this time. We will next time. Great quarter. Good to see you. Thanks, Jim. That's Chip Berg, president CEO of Levi Strauss. I love brand names, and I love people that know how to execute. Levi's got it both. Man, funny is back in. Coming up, a storm is coming. So give us a call. Kramer's got the answers to all your burning questions. The lightning round is next. It is time! It's up the And then the light runs over. Are you ready? Ski back to the light run. Let's start with Matthew in Minnesota. Matthew! Booyah! Jimmy Chill! Booyah! With baseball in full swing, football, basketball, and hockey about to start up, how are you feeling about DraftKings as an entry point right now? Okay, I think DraftKings is incredibly well run. I think they have to spend a fortune to be able to get customers, but they have an incredible number. I could not believe that. According to the reports we saw this week, they got 30% of the market. So I think that uh, Jason Robbins is doing a very good job, and I'm a buyer, not a seller of DraftKings. Steve, it's not going. Steve. Mr. Kramer. 
Yes. We had this company on a few weeks ago. Do you consider re-automotive symbol R-E a good investment at $4 a share? Um, no, I mean, look, I, uh, I'm very clear on these things. I like Tesla. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, for free. I like Tesla, and I like, in terms of the actual batteries, I like Ford. They're putting up a giant battery plant. Ford sells it eight times earnings, for heaven's sake. Farley's giving her all she's got. Let's get in that one. Club name. Let's go to Jay in Tennessee. Jay. Booyah, Jim. Greetings from Nashville, Tennessee. Music oh, my God, I USA. love the, the development capital of the world. And everybody I know is happy there. I mean, I know like a dozen people in Nashville are happy. But not bad. What's up? Yes, sir. Uh, my question deals with the company JFrog. With it, you know, acquiring UpSwift and having 70 of the 100 Fortune, you know, Fortune 100 companies and, you know, the Defense Department contracts, will it go above 40 again by the end of the year, you think? I, I'm actually quite surprised that that stock is down about 50%. It's a pretty good company. Let's do a piece on JFrog. We're doing it. We're going to do a profile JFrog. We can do Data Dog and JFrog. We'll get them all. All right. Let's go to Jason in Maryland. Jason. Hey, Jimmy, baby, how you doing? Thanks I'm doing well. How about you? Doing well, thanks. All right. Uh, this company, they have a history of paying shareholders since going public in 2004. They have a diversified portfolio of products that are found in everyone's pantry, freezer, and fridge. They have a new CEO that has implemented operational efficiencies. They just sold a plant in Maine. And their acquisition of Crisco in December of 2020 is performing above their own expectations. Now, there are a few negatives. they got a relatively high level of debt on their balance sheet. There's an equity offering on its way. And high inflationary costs are kind of hitting the industry. The other day, you had the CEO of McCormick on your show. So I want to know, what are your thoughts of B&G Foods? You know what? I wish I liked B&G more. I really do. They the Green Giant. They had a bunch of good old-fashioned names. But, I mean, I like Campbell's more than I like B&G now. I know the yield's lower. But I think Campbell's management is certainly more aggressive than B&G. Although I invite B&G on the show. Happy to have them. Why not? I got three segments tonight. I'm always looking for people, right? Okay, let's go to Jack in Ohio. Jack. Hey, thanks for taking my call, Jimmy. All right. Hey, it's one of my uh, bigger holdings. Can't find any negative news on the pullback anywhere. Is it a good time to add more Skyworks? The only thing I see that's negative about Skyworks is that he's a big Patriot fan. Uh, but he may, he's not. I mean, honestly, that's that's about as weak as it gets when I talk about Liam Griffin. Skyworks Solutions at 160 is a fantastic, I think is a really terrific buy. Yes, it can go a little lower. All stocks can go lower, but they are in the sweet spot with Apple. And last I looked, Apple is still doing pretty well. So SWKS at this level, Liam Griffin, come on. It's okay. I like it. Sorry about the pats. I mean, I don't know. I mean, really? Okay, let's go to Tim in Arizona. Tim. Hi, Tim. How are you doing, Jimmy? I am doing well. How about you? Very well. I have a stock called Apellus Pharmaceutical. Um, it's dropped quite a bit. I'm hoping it's going to go back down to around 16. Do you see that happening before it goes to the 50? You know, they got, uh, they, they've got, why not just buy, why not, look, they have a blindness drug. When I hear blind, what I think of, and I know this because it's macular dry generator, it's macular. Uh, that I think it's Regeneron. Uh, you know, I just think the Regeneron's got the best eye franchise there is, and that's the one I'd like to see you in. Uh, macular degeneration, uh, the one shot per month rather than the, the one per week. And Regeneron demonstrates its greatness over and over and over again. Let's stick with best of breed. Can we go to Tony in California? Tony! Hey, Jim. Happy Wednesday to you. 
Oh, Tim, what's up? Hey, so what's your take on test and measurement players like Keysight Technologies? Why, you know, they, why the up? heck has this stock collapsed? Their last quarter has been absolutely terrific. It was one of the strongest quarters in the entire group. I'm going to throw in Lamb Research, by the way. And this, no, this just makes me angry that that stock is going down. Agilent's good, too. Letter A. I don't know. All I can say is I think it's wrong. Okay, and that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, hot, hot, hike. Make sense of the day's most critical market machinations in no time flat. Stick with Kramer for a special no huddle next. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. I watched a Netherlands person talk about windmills today. And I said, oh, you got, win- no, I refuse to trade off of windmills. No, I will not trade off of windmills. I'm, you know, I mean, Don Quixote's trading off of windmills, but not me. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. Jim Cramer, you're one of my heroes. I look forward to your show every weeknight. Thank you so much for helping beginning investors like me. When you talk about the market, I just believe that you're spot on. Oh, I love it. Thank you so much. Every night we watch you, I have learned and earned. Today, Goldman Sachs downgraded Nucor, the great steel maker. They took it from buy to hold. And I took it personally because Nucor is one of our largest positions in my travel trust. It always hurts when you own a stock and you, own, and you get hit with a downgrade, doesn't it? Even if you only own it for charity. But this is the perfect moment to test your conviction. For example, Goldman claims that the good news is already baked into Nucor stock. That, that had me scratching my head, which was hard through the helmet. If the good news is really baked in, then why the heck didn't they say that when the stock was at 125 in August instead of 96 now? Good news baked in. How about good news baked out? Most important, as I told club members, we own Nucor for the Chapel Trust because it's the best of breed in its industry. Superior balance sheet, not to mention superior attitude, superior state of mind. True best of breed companies are either industry leaders or market share takers. They're forward thinkers. They reward their shareholders with dividends and buybacks. They have great management. In Nucor's case, that CEO Leon Topalian, the successor to John Ferriola, and Dan D'Amico, all may have money regulars. That's what I do for this, for, with this job. I try to figure out who's best of breed. 17 years already. I mean, what's well, beginning? I get what these analysts are trying to do. They expect a serious decline in steel prices, so they're trying to get ahead of it. It's just that what I think they're wrong about, the decline is not going to happen the way they think. There are many reasons why steel prices could remain completely resilient and they could be on the wrong side of the trade. The biggest reason is demand. There's tremendous demand for steel. We know the auto industry is a huge end market for Nucor. Even though the automakers are constrained by the semiconductor shortage, I spoke to Mary Barr, a CEO of GM this morning, and she told me the auto run rate could explode over the next few years. She says GM can double its revenue by 2030, and she's got enough chips to make the new Chevy Silver which tells me if she can do that, she can do a lot of other things. We know oil took a big break today, but the oil complex has been roaring. And we heard from Al Monaco, the CEO of Enbridge, just last night on Man Money. We need much more pipeline capacity. Nucor makes the steel that's used at every stage of the drilling and pipeline food chain. Plus, if Congress ever passes this infrastructure bill, Wall Street will go crazy for the steel stocks, which means they'll go crazy for Nucor. 
Meanwhile, management's committed to returning at least 40% of its earnings to its shareholders right now in the form of a huge buyback. Nucor bought a a ton of stock back at an average price of 105, and that's up 10 from where it is now. That was last quarter. You could argue that was bad timing, given that it's now in the mid-90s. But I bet they keep buying back their own stock rapaciously. Now that it's down 10 bucks from those levels, and they have so much cash. So here's the problem. Nucor is one of the best cyclicals in the S&P 500. So if you really want to take your cue from Goldman's research and throw in the towel, well, you've got to figure out how to get the towel back. Figure out how to get back in at a lower level because it's best of breed. Very few investors are nimble enough to pull that off. I don't think you are, especially since the infrastructure package could potentially pass and send the stock soaring. Plus, it just seems crazy to sell now when Nucor is already down 25% from its high. I've worked with former CEO Dan D'Amico on a study which shows that positive steel cycles often last as long as two years. That means this one's probably still in its infancy. The moral of the story, as I told investment club members, when best of breed stocks get downgraded, you should use that weakness to do some buying, not selling. You rarely get this opportunity. Nucor is a world-class American manufacturer that rarely gets put on sale. Do not look a gift horse in the mouth. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. Promise you to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.